Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to the book of Ephesians. We're still going to be finishing up chapter 1 this morning. And uh, so last week we started in chapter 1. And one of the things I think about the book of Ephesians and why I think it is so important for us as a body of believers is because in this great letter, Paul has a high view of the church. And there's a goal that he has for the church here from this letter, and it's to equip followers of Christ for works of service. Really, Paul is going to equip the follower of Christ for worship, for service, for family, for life, and for battle. And the primary passage of Scripture that we get this idea from is found in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 11. And he himself gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And what I think we should grasp is this idea, is that God's Word desires for the follower of Christ to be full and mature and complete in Christ. And as we dig through this letter, we're going to see that we are indeed equipped for aspects of worship that we, that we need to follow. Let me pray for us. Father... Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this weather that we have to, to drive here in, in comfort and peace. Uh, God, I thank you uh, that we get this opportunity to worship. I pray that your spirit will do his work in our hearts, that we will grasp what you desire for us to understand from this passage of Scripture and then take it out and live it out in the world. We pray these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. Getting older is tough. It's one of those realities that things begin to happen. And, and some of you are, are past me in this, and some are behind, and some have experienced some of these aspects of getting older. But as a man, there are some things about getting older that are just rough. I mean, for instance, the, the hair on your head stops growing, and, and it starts growing out of other places. It starts growing out of your nose and your ears. Some of this is going to be a little gross. So I, I can't tell you how many times that April's looked at me and said, hey, you need to trim your nose hairs. Uh, that's just what every man wants to hear from his wife. <laughs> Right? There are other times I go to the mirror and I look and my eyebrows look as though a tornado had passed through a cornfield. You know, so I just get the trimmers out and just cut those things off. So I can remember one time Melinda asked me, did you shave your eyebrows? Yes, I did. <laughs> if not, they would look like a cornfield and a tornado passed through. So, and then sleeping, right? I, you know, going to sleep. I've gone to sleep at night feeling fine. I woke up the next morning with my back out of place. I don't know how that happens, but it happens. And then, and then talking about sleeping, right? Uh, now that I'm, I'm getting to this age that I'm at, if there's nothing going on at 8 o'clock at night, I'm asleep. And I have this internal alarm clock that goes off, and this eternal alarm clock's called a bladder. And, and when that bladder hits, I've got to get up and I've got to go to the restroom. And, and then since I went to sleep at 8 o'clock at night, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm just up. And so I'm up for the rest of the day, and it's just this vicious cycle that takes place. But some of those times where I'm up in the middle of the night, I start thinking, right? And some of the thoughts are just not important, but others are kind of really important. Like, I can remember thinking not too long ago, what if today were today? 
What if today was the day that the Lord called me home? What if today was the day the Lord called somebody I love home? You know, have I said everything? Have I done everything that I'm supposed to do as a follower of Christ? And, and then when you start thinking about that kind of stuff, right, you then begin to put stuff in perspective, like, okay, perhaps some of the things that I'm seeking are not really all that important. And then we think about life and we realize that. Have you ever thought questions like that? Well, what if today were today? I start off every year. Every New Year's Eve, what if, I mean, maybe this could be my last trip. Maybe I don't even make it through this trip around the sun and the Lord calls me home. My people die young. It's a reality of the people I come from, right? And, and so then I start to think, okay, all of the things that I've sought in life, are they really important? Have you ever noticed that when we chase after the world's desires, we end up giving our lives to things that really don't matter and we teach our kids to do the same things, right? How often have we strived to tell our kids as they're going through school, hey, you got to get good grades and, and why do they need to get good grades? It's not to honor God and to do their best. They, they need to get good grades so that they can get into the right college and after getting into the right college, and think about that for a moment. We want them to get into the right college and we, we send our Christian kids off to these colleges that as soon as they get there, they deprogram them away from the faith that we've raised them in. And we think that that's something that's wise in our society today. I think it's time for Christian parents and Christians to realize that we're sending our kids off to hell's den. And they're being pulled away from the faith, but that's the important thing to us. And it's, you know, we get in the right college so you can get the right job, so that you can have the right retirement account for one day for you, anybody that you left behind to fight over it when you're gone. How much sense does that make? And then we think about this, another reality, right? Have you ever thought about the whole midlife crisis thing? Anybody ever go through the midlife crisis? You know, that, I don't know why they say midlife crisis at age 50. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the age span is like 72, or 70, 72 to 76 for men, somewhere around that. I mean, you're past midlife. You're on the downhill slope then. But most people get to that midlife crisis, and they start asking questions like this. Have the things I've spent my time focusing on really mattered? Is it really important? And we look around and we see those people behind us and we think, did I really point them in the right direction? And if you're a follower of Christ, that, that causes you to make some adjustments in your life. And if you're not a follower of Christ, oftentimes people end up buying a car that they don't need, trading in a spouse for what they think would be a better one. Isn't that so true, what we see in life? And so we realize those things that we've sought really don't matter. And, and when we seek after the things of the world and its dreams, and we realize something the writer of Ecclesiastes has said, right? It's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. It's a great book. Open that up and read it sometime. So last week, we spent some time looking through the first 14 verses of Ephesians where Paul reminded his hearers that if they were in Christ, if they were in Christ, there were three truths for them that should help them worship God. One truth was that they were chosen in Christ. Another truth was that they were redeemed and forgiven in Christ. And another truth was that they have a guaranteed inheritance that can't be taken away from them. And that God himself has placed his spirit within them as that reminder of that inheritance. Now, Paul, he's going to continue Continue in this thought of prayer by telling the church what he was praying for them. And there are lessons for us to grab from this prayer. And one thing in particular, what he prays for them we need today. We need as followers of Christ. We need as a body of Christ here at Milford. We need as a body of Christ worldwide. We need these things that he prays. So let's begin verses 15 and 16. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord, 
Jesus, which exist among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. For this reason, Paul says. Now, what Paul's about to do is he's about to tie what he's about to pray to what he's already said about them. And remember what those things were. In Christ, you're chosen. In Christ, you're forgiven and redeemed. In Christ, you have a guaranteed inheritance. And so for that reason, and then he begins to pray. And in his prayer, he says, having heard of your faith, in the Lord, right? Actually, this is kind of a little bit extra, but since it's in the text, we have to go through it. Paul gives us two clear markers here of what it means or what's in a healthy church. And the first one is this. In a healthy church, there's faith in the Lord. In a healthy church, there's faith in the Lord. It may seem kind of strange that Paul is writing to the church that he spent the most time with, and he's praising God for their faith, right? Their faith in the Lord. But, but we've got to understand that it's probably somewhere around seven years since he's been with the Christians in Ephesus. New Christians have come in since that time. And when you think about all of the pressures that were on the followers of Christ in the church in Ephesus, there were the external pressures of a sinful world. There were the external pressures of persecution that came from the outside. There were the internal pressures from the inside of followers of Christ who bought into lifestyles that weren't Christ-like. And and because of that, Paul says, because of your faith, I praise the Lord. And so when you study the word faith in the Hebrew It's more than just what you know. It's faith is what you do. Faith is is an action word. As a matter of fact, it it has to mind with it the idea of faithfulness. And it describes a person who's in a stable stance. It came to be used for someone who was dependable or trustworthy. And while Paul was praising God for their faith, the emphasis of their faith was not on them as individuals or, or even just a congregation. The emphasis of their faith was always upon the object of their faith, and it's God. Paul was praising them for their faith and trust in what God had declared. Right? Let me ask you a question when you think about it. If, if we had the opportunity, if today were your day, right? today's your day, it could be for any, any of us. It could be for all of us if the trumpet were to sound. If today were your day and you found yourself standing before the judgment throne of God and God said, why should I let you in? What do you declare in that moment? I I went to the right church. I said the right prayer. I received the right baptism. I memorized the book of Leviticus, which maybe that might be one that should count. (laughs) Now, what do you say? What do you say? If it's anything that starts with I, other than followed with I trusted in Jesus, then then your faith is in the wrong thing. Your faith is actually in yourself. Paul praises them because they had a faith and a trust in God. He understood this reality. I mean, he praises their faith because it was a trust in God. He understood this reality that, that if they were going to get through the judgment seat of Christ, it was going to be because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It was always going to point to Christ. God, you promise, and I'm trusting in your faithfulness, not mine. So the second mark of a healthy church is a love for all of God's people. It's a love for all of God's people. Isn't that what he said there? He said, because of your faith and because of your love for all of the saints, the best evidence that anybody of believers has for a life that is changed by the Lord is the evidence of a love for one another. When people come into the body of Christ, it should be clearly felt and seen. It should be palpable. It shouldn't be something that has to be looked for. You see, 
we are not noticed because of the political parties. We, I mean, we're not, a, God doesn't notice us because of our political affiliations. He doesn't notice our worship because of how loud we sing or, or it's not how loud we say amen or it's not how much money we put in the offering plate. It's not if you've memorized the book of Leviticus. No, God recognizes us by our love for one another. It's a love for one another that the world will even see. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another even as I have loved you so that you also may love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. In large part, the second mark is lost upon the body of Christ today. Right? How is it lost? It's not as though we walk around hating each other. It's, that's not the case. It's, far too often, you know, we get a negative view of how people treat each other in the church. That's not where I want to focus on today. What I want to focus on today is this idea of our love for one another. It's, remember, last week I talked about this reality that when we accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life, it's not only a vertical relationship that we have, it's also a horizontal relationship that we have. That God places us in a body of believers called the church and it's in that body of believers that our love is supposed to be lived out. And today, and for, for the most part, many Christians live with this mindset and this idea. If I need God, I'll, I'll go to church. If life's a little tough, I'll, I'll go to church. If things seem a little bit out of kilter, I'll go to church. But if I'm blessed and I have food in my fridge and paying my bills, and I, I don't really need much of God today, so I'm not going to go to church. And really, that's a lack of love for God's people that kind of gives this mentality and mindset, right? Because of their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints, Paul did not cease to praise God for them. And so he's praying for this church, and praying for the churches was a common thing for Paul. Just open up and read his letters to the church in Philippi. He said, I praise God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. To the churches in Thessalonica and Colossae, he thanked, he thanked God for their faith in God. So Paul prayed for the churches. And so let me ask you a question before we move on in this section. How's your prayer life for the body of Christ? How's your prayer life for the body of Christ? How's your prayer life for your elders, your deacons, and your ministers? How's your prayer life for the people that God has brought you together with? Right, because in reality, if a mark of our, faith, our, our, our Christianity is found in our faith in the Lord and our love for one another, man, we're going to be praying for each other. And far too often, I think people live with this reality or this mindset among themselves that God has given them the spiritual gift of criticism. And from that spiritual gift of criticism, he's placed them on the eternal I get the gripe committee. And in that I get the gripe committee, there's griping about the ministries the church does or does not have. There's griping about the decisions that are made or not made by the elders and the leaders. There's griping about the preacher. There's griping about the lifestyles of people around them. And friends, when we get into that mindset, it communicates to the world the exact opposite message of love for one another. And here's something I've learned about prayer. When we really pray for each other and we pray for the church, when you pray for somebody, it's hard to hold a grudge against them. When you pray for somebody, it's hard not to love them. When you pray for somebody, it's hard not to see the struggle through their eyes and to seek to become the hands and feet of Christ in their lives. Listen, I want to challenge us as members of the body of Christ here at Milford to pray for each other to pray for the leaders of this church, to pray for the volunteers who lead in different areas, to pray for those who scrape along your nerves, right? Because probably, if you're honest with yourself, the reason they're scraping along your nerves has more to do with you than them. 
But far too often will we have that sort of honesty with ourselves. We need to pray for each other. And so what did Paul pray? Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the full knowledge of him. So that God would give us, give them a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What is this? What is this? Some people ha- have believed that the idea is that God would give this general dispensation of, of knowledge and wisdom to the follower of Christ. And, and I guess that could be it, but I, I think it goes so much deeper than just this general dispensation of knowledge and wisdom. Remember, Paul has given all these promises in Christ in these first 14 verses. And, and, and I don't think Paul would just say, and, and because that you're in Christ, uh, I, I pray that he just gives you this general dispensation this general feeling. No, I don't think that's it. Why? Because the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and we need more than a general disposition. We need a supernatural filling of the Holy Spirit that comes from God so that we can understand what his word declares and so that we can have that spirit of wisdom and revelation. Right? So, so here, uh, an argument could be made that, that he's praying that they would have the ability to understand the deeper things of God. And I don't have to tell you why we need that, right? I mean, just look around the world. The world's in trouble. Sometimes the church is in trouble. And in life, the Christian life is difficult. And those trials and temptations that we face at every turn, we need that spirit of wisdom and revelation. The writer of James declares, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings about perseverance. And let perseverance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Does that sound like a general disposition? No, he says that, that you can be complete and lacking in nothing. There, when we think about it, there are struggle all, all, struggles all around us, right? And it's all one root problem that brings those struggles. The root problem is sin. Well, we struggle because of our own sin. Decisions that we make or don't make. You know, decisions that we make to do things that are against God's will or decisions that we don't make knowing of God's will that we need to do. That's the struggles we come about. We struggle because of the sins of others. Sometimes it's the sins of our parents. Sometimes it's the sins of a mate that let us down. They say they declare something and then they go the opposite direction. We struggle because of sin in general, right? Sin in general, why is there cancer? Because of sin. Why is there heart disease? Because of sin. Why do we stand over the graves of people we love? Because of sin. Not, not, not their sin in particular, but sin in general. Paul prays to the glorious Father in heaven that they would be given a spirit of wisdom. And I love what God's word declares. And I love what his word declares here. Because he says elsewhere what will happen if we ask for, that, for wisdom. And it's found there in James chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And don't you love that? And let the truth of that verse sink in. He says there, if we lack any wisdom, that we can ask of God, and God will give it to us. And when he gives it to us, he's not going to declare to us, much like we would do as human beings, well, I tried to give you the answer last week, and you didn't take it, so why would I give it to you now? Right? Well, you, you don't really need this wisdom right now. You need the wisdom that would have kept you from making that decision two months ago, Larry. That's not what God does. He says he gives it to us without reproach. And so what is wisdom? It's knowledge, of course. 
but it's more than knowledge. When we begin to apply this thought to ourselves, do we really need just more knowledge, right? Well, we don't need just more knowledge, more understanding. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying knowledge is unimportant. It is important. But there's another side to wisdom. There's the wisdom that has the knowledge, and then there's the wisdom that acts. Knowledge and action go together. We need both sides of wisdom, right? In his letter, James wrote in 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, without doubting and without hypocrisy. Wisdom's not only what you know, wisdom is what you do. And Paul's prayer is that they would realize the Holy Spirit's role in giving them that wisdom. We don't need the kind of wisdom that causes us to judge those outside of Christ as much as we need the kind of wisdom that lets us know we need to lead them to Christ. We, we don't need the kind of wisdom that grows from sitting in a Bible study alone. We need the kind of wisdom that grows from sitting in that Bible study and then taking what we've learned and serving and loving and caring for others for the sake of gaining a right to share the gospel message with them. We don't need the kind of wisdom that puffs us up with pride. We need the kind of wisdom that brings us to a point of humility and understands that there's no one, no one outside of the scope of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's the kind of wisdom we need, knowledge along with action, along with action. So he also prayed that they would have a spirit of revelation. What's this? What's this? It's, it's a, a receiving of God's word and the knowledge of God's word, yes. To understand this, we must first hear it through their ears and understand it from their minds. See, they didn't have the New Testament like we have. Uh, of course, they had the Old Testament scriptures, but not everybody carried around a copy with them. No, and when they heard God's word, it was preached to them. When they heard God's word, it was read to them. When they heard God's word, it came from the mouth of a prophet. That's how they heard God's word. And so they would have needed a fuller grasp of the revelation of God in this point. They would have needed God's Holy Spirit to remind them of everything they had been taught. And so how does this apply to us today? Right? Here's what I think we should grasp and understand, friends. God's revelation will never come to us apart from his word. It will never come to us as followers of Christ today apart from his word. He reveals to us everything we need to know in his word. It's there. It's laid bare. It's made known to us. And I believe there are many times that we want God to reveal something to us apart from his word or apart from the reading of his word. God will not reveal to us anything apart from that. And he will not reveal to us anything supernaturally that we do not put into our hearts and minds from his word. We have this responsibility to take God's word and plant it deep into our souls and into our lives. It's almost as if at times we desire the Holy Spirit to do what we're unwilling to do, right? So we've got to dig in. And I, I've heard people say things like this that, that often, well, it hurt a long time ago. As a young preacher, these things hurt a little bit, right? And sometimes I know other Christian leaders hurt when they hear somebody say, well, I, I left that church. Well, I just wasn't, wasn't being fed. Just wasn't being fed. So, and, and, and I guess maybe, maybe sometimes that can be a reality, but most of the time, it's, it's, I don't think it's the truth. Right? Because what would you think if I invited Joel up on the stage and I, I took this stool out right here, and I set Joel down on the stool, and then I took out a bib, and I wrapped it around his neck, and then I took out a, a jar of baby food from my back pocket, and, and I started feeding Joel that baby food, 
right up here. Well, many of you, if something happened to Joel we don't know about, and that would be a good concern. And then if everything was okay with Joel, you think, okay, is there something going on crazy with that preacher now? And and then that could be the case. Uh, But then if those two things check out, you would start to think, well, man, that man needs to learn how to feed himself. He needs to learn how to take that spoon and put it into his own mouth. Right? And, and we've got to grasp and understand this reality that if we do not learn to feed ourselves from God's word, we're never going to be fed from any preacher and from any Bible study or from anything else. God's not going to reveal to us anything that's not put in there through the reading and the sitting under the preaching of God's word and the wisdom to do what we've been led to do. The Bible declares, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. And, and I believe that that strong argument can be made. That's only when, that's only when we put it in there ourselves. Right? And I've seen it happen in my own life. Having conversations with people. This is what I call Bible saturation. You know, somebody says, well, do you remember what you read today uh, from God's word? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, um, you know, I, I, here's where I'm reading that in God's word right now. I'm in the book of Esther, and then I'm in the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians. I try to write down a big thought for today. Sometimes those thoughts don't stick, and, and then I got to go back and look at my journal. But you know what has happened from saturating my life with God's word is that somebody will come up and have a conversation with me, and they'll ask a question. And then there'll be this little reminder. Oh, this is what God's word says here. This is what God's word says here. This is what it says there, right? And the only reason it can be pulled out is that it was put in, and it's true for all of us. So Paul did not pray that they would be filled with wisdom and revelation so they could condemn the world or that they would be more knowledgeable about God without action or that they would separate themselves out from the rest of the world. Why did he pray? It's so that they would know Christ. And let's look at this, verses 18 through 21. So that you... The eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And so Paul's prayer was that they would know. And there are three things, I think, from that passage that we should see. To know Christ is to know the hope to which he has called you. It's to know the hope to which he has called you. And what is hope? What's hope? You hear somebody talk about hope, and what's the thing that comes to your mind? And, And far too often what comes to the mind of a follower of Christ is hope is wishing. It's like, I wish this were true. I hope this becomes a reality. It's like going up to that wishing well and taking out the penny and and flipping it in and saying, all right, I hope that this is going to be true. But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation. And what has been said will take place. Biblical hope is remembering that in Christ we're chosen. In Christ we're redeemed and forgiven. In Christ we have an inheritance that can't be taken away. That's what biblical hope is. And, And from that foundation of biblical hope, we have this reality uh, that there's a hope to which we have been called. And so friends, do you know what you've been called to in Christ? It it really, I mean, as I was thinking about it and digging through, it's okay, what has he called us to? And, And of course, there's the mission to preach Christ to the world, yes. But before we even do that, what has he called us to? And it's 
Simple but difficult. We've been called to follow Christ. We've been called to be his disciple. And when he called the disciples, you remember, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what he was going to make them. But where, where did they follow Christ to? They ultimately followed Christ to the cross. Right? And as a follower of Christ, that same thing is true for us today. To follow Christ is to realize that we have to die to self and live for him. To follow Christ is to know if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the calling. That's the hope of the calling to which we've been received, that when we follow him, we are to die with him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, he said this, when Christ, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. How often do we realize that as followers of Christ? How often do we understand that, that when we give our lives to Christ, when we believe him, confess him, confess him to be the Lord, repent of a life that's led us away from him, when we're baptized into his death and raised in the newness of life, how often do we realize that the old person is supposed to be dead and we're supposed to be this new living being in Christ? Right? And, and he says, I want you to know the hope of that calling. And remember, what is the hope of that calling? I, I know I keep repeating the same thing, that in Christ... You're chosen. In Christ, you're redeemed and forgiven. In Christ, there's an inheritance that can't be taken away. That's the hope of the calling, that when you die with Christ, all of those things are to be true for you. So to know Christ is also to know the power that is available. Here God's word declares there's a power available to those who believe. Right? And, and last week, we really focused in on those responses of faith that give us this power, give us the Holy Spirit. It's belief, it's confession, it's repentance, it's baptism into Christ, and it's a, a chasing after holiness. And that power is available for those who are in Christ, right? But the question that we asked last week is, are, are you in Christ? Are you in him? Because if you're not in him, you don't have that power. And if you are in him, what does that power mean for you in your life? I challenge you to go back and read Romans chapter 8 last week. And if you did, you saw that the mind of the Spirit brings life and peace. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead gives life to your mortal body. As we walk with the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. The Spirit of God testifies to our souls that we're children of the Father. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, even when we don't know what to pray. And because of the work of the Spirit, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That's what we have. That's the power that's available for the follower of Christ. And so now, friends, are we living in it? Are we relying upon it? Is that our source of power for living? Perhaps you remember the story about the woman when they first started running electricity through the hills of West Virginia, and the electric company went up to a house, and they knocked on the door and said, ma'am, we just want to make sure everything's okay at your house. And she said, sure, everything's fine. Well, why are you knocking? She said, well, they said, well, we installed electricity here for you, and you have the lowest bill of anyone around, and we just want to figure out, is there something wrong with your electricity? She said, no, it's, it's fine. I, I turn it on at night to light all my candles, and then I turn it off. She had the power available there for her. She just wasn't using it. Sometimes that's what we as followers of Christ do. We fail to walk in the power available to us. And some of the reasons we're failing to walk in that power available to us is because we're flirting with sin too much in our lives. We're not trusting him to do what he says will take place. 
We've been left on this earth and we're facing trials and temptations and and heartaches and successes and failures. And and Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to know that there was a power that would get them through. And that, that is there for us today, church, as well. We need to know that the power that raised Christ from, available, from death is available to us. And, and the final lesson from this prayer is that to know Christ is to know the mission. To know Christ is to know the mission. I struggled with this point because in truth, I, I scrutinize my preaching and I think, man, sometimes I feel like I'm just saying the same thing and this one is really that one that I really struggle with. You know, you've heard it joked about that uh, so there are some preachers that find a way to work Acts 2.38 into every message. And I feel like I find a way to work into every message the mission that the church has been left here for. And I struggled with this one. Am I forcing this thought process in here? Look at verses 22 and 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's an interesting phrase to close this prayer. He put all things in subjection under his feet. Uh, For the reader there, it brought about the reminder of what would take place when a conquering king would come in and they would conquer another uh, nation or kingdom. And and for a a visual lesson, the history books would say that uh, sometimes those kings would bring out the conquered king in front of his subjects and he would put his foot on his throat signifying that because of his power and authority, that king and his kingdom are now in subjection to him. And this wasn't an image that was lost on Paul. Paul understood that the death of Jesus Christ, because of the death of Jesus Christ, that he crushed the work of the serpent underneath his foot, right? And this was the promise back in Genesis chapter 3, 15, you'll strike his heel, but he'll crush your head. And this is the reality. Even in Romans, Paul would write these words in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 16. For the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I am rejoicing over you. But I know, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Friends, on the cross, Jesus defeated the power of sin and death. And when we place our faith in him, in that defeated work of, uh, of sin, we can understand that it's in subjection under Christ. And so first and foremost, this is the body of Christ that he talks about next when he says uh, he's placed all things under subjection, under the, uh, the head of all things to the church, right, is given to Christ, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a confusing phrase, and I really struggled looking at it and wonder, okay, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, that's the church. Friends, there's nothing in Christ that's lacking that we fill. But with Christ in us, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and with the, 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 the mission that he's left for us, that we become that instrument that indeed seeks to take Christ and filling all in all. It's the reality of who we are. As a church, we need to die to self, to live for Christ, and to live for Christ is to live for the mission of Christ, to carry the message of Christ to the ends of the world. And that's the responsibility of every single one of us. Every single follower of Christ has that responsibility. So once again, let me ask you, if today were the day, would you answer the call? If today were the day, if today were the day your heart stopped beating, would those last few beats be spent in Christ and for Christ?
If today were the day somebody you love's heart stopped beating, would you wonder, what if? What if I would have taken that call seriously? Forgive me if I have shared this with you, but it fits here, and I know there might be some that have not heard this. But soon after giving my life to Christ, I, I realized that I was supposed to spend the rest of my life telling other people about Jesus. Please understand, I didn't think that that was in ministry. I, I didn't grasp the reality that I was going to be in ministry, but I realized, okay, I'm a Christian now. People around me are not Christians. I need to tell other people about Jesus. And so, and one of those people was my dad, and I knew I needed to tell my dad about Jesus. And so on March the 22nd, uh, soon after Preston was born, I remember calling him from Simmons Company because of the long distance, and, and I, I said, I need to come over and talk to you about something this weekend. And, and that something I wanted to talk to him about was Jesus, and I wanted to share the gospel with my dad. And I knew I needed to. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what was going to be said, and I didn't know if I would want to punch him before I would share the gospel with him. I didn't know any of these things. I just know that that's what I was supposed to do. And then on March the 23rd, after going out shopping, and we came home, and uh, we were living with Roy and Melinda at the time. Melinda told me, your dad's dead. So I didn't get to share the gospel with him. And spent most of my life now after that just thinking, and what if I would have said, hey, Dad, I really want to talk to you about something. As a matter of fact, let's just talk now. Well, you know what? Before I go home from work tonight, I'm going to stop by the house and I, I, I need to share something really important with you. You know, I'll never know how he would have responded. And so as a follower of Christ, as a church, this word tells us here that we are supposed to be the instrument of Christ, his body, and, and we're to fill all things and in all ways, and the only way all things can be filled in all ways is that everyone we know hear the gospel message of Christ. And so if I've forced that into this message, I, I do apologize, but I really think I see that as being the primary thing. So, so to know Christ, right? To know Christ is to know these things. Uh, to know Christ is to know the mission. To know Christ is to know the power that's available. And to know Christ is to know the hope to which he has called you. And so I want to just ask one, one question of you before I pray for us uh, this morning. If today's the day, do you know Christ? Do you know him? Have you surrendered to him as Lord? Have you confessed him to be the Lord of your life? Have you repented of sin and, and submitted yourself to Christian baptism? And, and have you, through the power of his spirit that's available to you, began that chase of holiness? If not, that's where you need to start.